Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Marchalero. And this week, my guest is the Grubber CEO, Bhavan Asher. Bhavan, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for, the, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I first ran across you uh, when I was alerted to your business about how you work with restaurants and payment systems and restaurants, and I was very interested, so I contacted your PR specialist, and uh, we're off and running. So for the listeners, uh, Bhavan is a combination of technologist, entrepreneur, and consultant. After graduating college with a computer science degree, he went to work for IBM, first in India and then Germany. Later, Bhavan uh, transitioned to a position at Deloitte USA as a CRM, as customer resource management strategy consultant at Deloitte, and that provided further learning ground for understanding how a successful business can leverage its technology and scale and grow. And most recently, he was the director of solutions, uh, director and solutions architect at Salesforce. And today, Bobbin is the founder and CEO of Grubber. So, um, welcome, and uh, I think this is going to be a great show because I think everybody's interested in how better ways they can pay in restaurants and point of sales and and serve other kinds of service industries, hotels, and so on. So, I can't wait to sure. hear you all about this. But first, before we get started on Grubber and what inspired you to do that. Uh, tell me about your early science, computer science career and what were your earliest aspirations? What were you thinking in your bachelor's degree? So during my bachelor's, I had some very interesting topics from Turing machines to how, com- how we have grown faster to Moore's law where everything, everything grows double in certain period of time. And it was just fascinating to me how fast the world changes. And in that four-year degree, by the time I was out, whatever I learned on the, in the first year, <laughs> was was obsolete. I'm like, okay. So I went from, I remember I had a Nokia double six double zero to a BlackBerry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a big change on the technology, and that keeps fascinating. Where you can keep learning. So you can never say I'm an expert. Like for example, if I go become a dentist, if I go become a neurosurgeon, yes, I have to keep learning. But my fundamentals are the same. In computer science, fund. Even the fundamental changes, like now we talk about quantum computing versus when I started, we were talking about bits and binary digits and everything has changed in 14 years. And I don't think that happens anywhere else. Did you fall into a favorite platform? Uh, Unix is the lingua franca of computer scientists. So, yeah, so I'm a big believer of open source. Um, I think there are big players trying or big technology companies now trying to control the whole ecosystem and it's getting scary but my initial love was linux and unix yes great Um, great yeah my applause (laughs) and affirmation so um how did you get to work for ibm then was did they recruit you or were you had your eye on them when you were getting your degree so i had a i did a quick um a, a short internship for a fintech company in india it was called Polaris, and IBM used to consult with them and working on a project for IBM, and then, yeah, they recruited me for this for the same project. And my first project with IBM was a techno consulting gig uh, with an Australian oil company. And it was very fascinating how IBM ran its business. And it's a juggernaut. And once a blue, always a blue is a very common IBM saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm still associated with people at IBM even today. Cool. And cool. many people don't know, but they have one of the highest patents in the world. I think they 
I think they file for the highest number of patents every yeah, year. Yeah, I think it dwarfs everybody else. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what did you think you came away with IBM with uh, what kind of skills? Process, process, and process. One mm. thing I learned. One thing I learned real quick in IBM, um, even if you don't have the C, like, there's no head. There's no head of a department. There's no head of the company. Even though there's a CEO, even if the whole company takes holiday and if you put in a new 100,000 people, the, I, the company will still keep running. They just, <laughs> Interesting. They just, yes, they just keep you ingrained in that every process. And that has made them so successful, I think. Um, so when I go to get replaced or if I have to go replace somebody, you just go straight into the process and the documentation and you're there. Interesting. Do you find that kind of rote and uh, kind of uh, lack of creativity and inspiration or do you find it more positive than negative? So as an entrepreneur now, I've learned two things that creativity and its madness is very useful. But when you have to run the business, you need that boring, laborious <laughs> process. I was afraid because, you were going to say that. Because not everybody can thrive in a creative or a unstructured environment. And as an entrepreneur, yeah. you do. But when you have a team of people, they cannot. Everybody's looking for a document. Everybody's looking for directions and a process to follow. Interesting. So uh, then you came to the U.S. and Deloitte. How did that happen? Tell me about it. Uh, so before that, I was in Germany for nine months, um, and that was my first trip outside of my my country, so India. And I learned there's so much to there's so much more out there in the world. And I went alone. I was 25 years old, and I was put in one of I was in one of the largest. How do I say it? I want to use the right words, but I was in one of the largest deployments of a of a revamp or a comp of a company revamp. Uh, the company is called T-Com, T-Mobile, T-Mobile in U.S. T-Com is the parent German company for telecom. Mm-hmm. And it was a national project where all the eyes were on it because after implementing that system, uh, we would get rid of 14 call centers. They had 28. So we had protests outside the building and it was crazy. But then we realized that we are not taking the jobs away because the new systems from Oracle, frankly, which we are deploying, would actually need more people to support it. <laughs> but then, and I call it, it's, you know, reskilling the labor or reskilling people. We always have to get reskilled. I'm but seeing was, the seeds of your current company forming. That is, <laughs> that is correct. Uh, and I'm like, you know what? Job jobs or humans will never go away that social element of life is mm-hmm. never we farming um airports you take any vertical any industry people have always been there and we have hired more and more people and that's why we are even though all this ai and machine learning the paradox is that we are in our lowest employment rates and we can't find people so i i don't believe with the idea when people say oh ai is coming machine um Automation is coming and jobs are going away. I don't think so. I was reading about quantum supremacy this morning in Google, and an article mentioned that that from the IBM point of view, I think there was a conclusion that uh, quantum computers will never totally replace classic computers that work in concert with each other as a pair, as a duo, and so it kind of sounds like the human AI duo that as is well. Co- yeah, that's yeah. Quantum can never. Yes, that is correct. 
That's correct. Were you building a sort of a career picture of expertise and what you wanted to do in your, in your career at this point, or, or were um, you just simply sort of going with the flow? Back at IBM days, when I was in Germany, I was going with the flow because I had a team of 120 people. They sp- Within our team, we spoke around 16 languages, and it was just a cultural juggernaut of people, and it was just amazing. Like, I had people from all over the world in the same project. So I think I was developing as a human being, understanding different cultures, how do people code differently. Like we had a couple of Portugal coders, and I think they are the best coders I've seen in my life. And I had coders from Russia, different mathematics, different styles. So I learned so much on the coding side. And then I learned the German way of business because then I was dealing with all the German business counterparts. Interesting. Uh, What city was this? I'm curious. Frankfurt, Germany, and the, and everybody at IBM there has a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even our tech support had a PhD, and wow. just amazing experience. And doing business is different in Germany and Europe than US. They are slow. They are very methodical to a point, boring with process. So to do something which would take six months in the US will take us two years back in Germany. So it took us two years to implement. A project will, which will never get approved for budget-wise in the U.S., but that is how they function. With their six weeks of vacation, going for ski vacation, they have a winter vacation, a summer vacation, and then Christmas and everything allowed. So Sounds different good culture. To me. I like it. I no, so it was, of, my wife used to travel to Germany, so I've been to Frankfurt and Heidelberg and stuff like that. So just curious. Yeah. Cool. So you know. Yeah. Cool. So no, t- from t- then t- came tell back. Me, tell, tell me what brought you on to Salesforce after that. Yeah, so came yeah came and joined US. Worked for Deloitte for four years, which is a phenomenal journey. I I survived the recession. Let's put it that way. Um, actually, I found a project in Mexico in 2009, 2010. So I lived in Mexico City for a year. We implemented the first set-top box for TV Azteca. So I did the whole technology, architecture, and business consulting for them on how to launch the product. Do you need a prepay? Do you need? Do you want prepaid channels, postpaid channels, and how would you go to market? And mm-hmm. then making sure the technology works in the back. More seeds of your career here. Excellent. Yes. 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 So that was a good year. Came back, and then I got married. Um, I did not want to do consulting anymore. Um, my partner was going through a third divorce, and I was also learning. I didn't want to be part of that rat race. That's what we call it in our consulting world, and made a conscious decision. Uh, I took a nine-to-five job. I, I am like, you know what? I'm ready for this. I'm married now. It was very challenging. A company grew from zero to $800 million here in South Florida. Uh, again, revamped their IT architecture and some of the business processes for them. And I realized nine-to-five is not for me. Packed my bags, uh, went back to India and Dubai. And I did a startup called Musafir.com. I helped my family friends to run a travel technology startup. It's still there. Uh, they have 14 locations in Dubai. They do pretty. They do over five million dollars now in the in Asia. But it did that um, and came back and joined Salesforce. Um, I started as a solution architect and grew up to to the ranks in four years to the director of products. And that was an amazing journey too. Just to let you know, like Salesforce in forefront. We call it the fourth industrial revolution. Um, that's a term which is being used again and again. And I wrote a blog when I was with Salesforce that what are the top 10 
in we are in middle of a revolution where everything is changing everything is becoming iot ai automation and machines and last time it took 60 years to for the third revolution this is going to take 10 to 12 years everything is happening at hyperspace and <laughs> i know because right because before it was silicon valley and a few places in europe now it's the whole world china is innovating india is innovating brazil russia every every everywhere there are unicorns and there are different ideas which are thriving and bitcoin on top of that is going to change everything else not bitcoin but crypto is another big big concept which is going to change a lot of things so and salesforce would put me in the forefront of this because salesforce would go build tech for all this salesforce has a A, a blockchain cloud we have a financial tech cloud we have a service cloud a sales cloud they had all of these techs where we would go to the cios and the c level of the companies and say hey look why do you need this future and literally we had questions i have a crm from sap or oracle been running for 15 years or 20 years why would i change to salesforce and that is that is frankly that was my moment i knew that world is in cusp of innovations and people are opening up to it companies are taking higher risks um executives are taking higher risks because they see that it's coming or or you'll be behind or lose the game and that is what is happening in retail and some of the other industries cool i can see all over this story you told about the seeds for your future <laughs> and i want to talk to you about that in the second half of the show the what brought you to found uh the company uh, grubber and uh, we'll get to that in the second half of the show but folks first we have to take a short commercial break we'll be back in 60 seconds i'm chatting with grubber ceo bavan asher we'll be right back hello there all you fabulous background mode listeners i'm kelly gamot with the mac observer and i just want to say a few words about how you can support all the things we do if you're thinking about buying something from apple amazon or mac mall just go to the mac observer's homepage where we have a section called support tmo or you can just enter macobserver.com/applestore all one word and that will take you to our special page for apple and our other affiliates if you make a purchase from one of our partners this way the mac observer receives a small compensation for sending business their direction pretty cool right and you don't pay a penny more this small fee from our affiliates helps us continue to bring you tmo's daily news reviews tips how to's and podcasts like this one So the next time you're thinking about an online purchase, come to TMO's homepage and support the Mac Observer. Thanks. Back to you, John. We're back. I'm chatting with Grubber CEO Bavin Asher. So now I want to hear the story about the founding of your company and what brought you to Florida and what inspired you to form this company and what it does. Take it away. Sure. So it's been seven years in the U.S. I was in the corporate cycle, and I'm like, you know what? I need to do something innovative. So it was my creative brain. the tech i'm seeing everything around me and i have this knack to solve problems i like solving problems or finding challenges and it was a valentine's day uh 2016 i think it was a weekend so it was little later after valentine's day with my wife in a new italian restaurant here in south florida and i see a huge line and the manager was free- sweating freaking out and i'm like and i've never noticed a point of sale or i've no- never noticed um restaurant technology before and it was that day and another pet peeve just to add on to this and the week before that we were at a concert i had to stand in line for an hour over an hour to get in and i missed 30 minutes of the concert or probably more 
to get drinks and food for my wife and me. And I had to stand in the line everywhere. So I'm like, you know what? Even if I pay a $1,000 ticket, I still stay, wait in lines. And so that was one of the biggest pet peeves. Airports. It, anywhere you go. And then... You tell the story about how you used to stand in line in an airport to get your ticket. Now you correct. go up to a kiosk and you tap a few buttons and your ID and and then out pops a, a boarding pass. That is correct. Or, and, and that's the old way. The new way is it comes to your phone and they scan the code on your phone. Right. And it comes to your phone. You don't wait in lines anymore. So airports have taken this forward. Uh, so has ATMs. When have you gone to a teller to deposit your check or draw money out? Um, so when we are waiting in this line, we are like, okay. And the technology, I see Windows 2000 blinking on his POS. (laughs) 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 Oh my. And I I was like, this is not right. This is not correct. This is not what I'm seeing. And it was, it was Windows 2000 server. And fast forwarding this, I'm like, this, there's something missing. I, fa- I have a hotelier friend. He owns multiple restaurants and hotels. I go to him. I sit down in his restaurant for two days. Again, putting my consulting hat on and see what's going on. And I found out a huge, huge gap. Technologies are like from 1990s. There's no innovation. The payment processing does not talk to the POS. The POS does not talk to the back of the house properly. The owner does not get any reports correctly. So I'm like, Hey owner, how will you scale this to hundred? And he's like, I can, I can never do it. It's been twenty years. I have twenty eight, and I'm hands down full just doing this. And that's where I knew knew there's this opportunity. And I started building Grubber, and I started with self ordering kiosk. Um, my first play, I pitched it to Yum Yum Brands. That was my first one. Um, I got stuck in legal because they thought I'm a POS company because there was nothing called as kiosk back then. McDonald's was not launched yet. I still have the letter of intent from them. I framed it. <laughs> but I, and that is where we knew it. And it was on an iPad because there was not, there are not many Android Windows devices back then. So my first kiosk was an iPad. Um, uh, moved ahead and started building the ecosystem. And we've, as we identify more gaps, we, we try to plug them in. And today I think we have the vision. The vision is we believe going forward will come the society is going to become completely cashierless right why to your point john we were discussing this you sit down at a restaurant the credit card disappears from your from your eyesight for 10 to 15 minutes right (laughs) i had a server drop my uh credit card behind a big counter in the the serving area and uh, they couldn't get to it because the counter was so heavy so they said come back tomorrow we'll fish it out tonight and we'll (laughs) That is correct. <laughs> uh, or I can go on Amazon and order a bunch of stuff before you know it, right? Or I can yeah. duplicate your card. There are so many ways to handle that um, or steal your card, right? That's on a sit-down restaurant. Imagine a fast, casual QSR. You go to a Chipotle, you go to a Subway, and there are lines out the door. So people in the 1930s waiting in line to get their bread, and we in 2019 still wait in lines to get our bread and food. Is it because the merchant doesn't have the capital resources to invest in a system that'll save them time, to save the customers time and make more money for them? What's the friction point? So that's a great question. Uh, two things. Uh, they all know McDonald's, Panera have kiosks. They are innovating on self-ordering. But 
they think they cannot. They just assume that the point of entry is very expensive. One. Second, they are so busy running, running their restaurants every day, they have no time or idea on what's going on. And third, they don't, everything is working, why touch it? Restaurants don't have CTOs. They don't have CTOs, that is correct. And the third point is, the staff who is working, everything is working, I'm used to doing this for last 10 years, why would I change anything? That's the biggest, so the, we have a, internally, we have this, saying where our biggest competition is the old way of doing things. I'm used to doing things in a certain way. That's why I can't touch a touchscreen because I'm used to pressing buttons on my phone. And now we don't even think of buttons on a phone in 10 years. So I think we are early early in the innovation phase. I call it the innovation phase. We are still going up the graph where people are still adopting to it. But friction is frankly just not in the know-how and assuming that it's going to be expensive. Like at Grubber, our kiosk starts at $2.99 a month and you can have the same technology which McDonald's has today. Why wouldn't you have it? And you can you can now, you technically have an extra employee or you can repurpose your employee, existing employees to actually do better customer service, which is the biggest complaint in hospitality in general. So now there's a kiosk when you walk into the door of a merchant or optionally maybe one on the restaurant table for a small additional fee and you punch in what you want to order and it goes to the kitchen and then the server brings it out and that, you pay when you're ready instead of waiting on the server. And that is correct. And we have even gone a, a, a step further where we had issues where Oh, I'm behind the counter. I can't, I, how do I give away food once you order? And it's disrupting the line. So we at Panda Express have lockers where it opens behind the kitchen. When you order the food at the kiosk, you get a barcode. And you see the name on the screen when it's ready. You scan the barcode. The right locker opens up. You take your food and you're out the door. Oh, cool. Right? So... We, it's all, and that's where the consulting angle comes in. Where I think there's a lot of education. When there is new change in the in the system, where there's new change going around in the world, it takes a lot of education, evangelism. Where somebody needs to be evangelist for self-ordering. Uh, for example, McDonald's, and when brands like McDonald's, Panera, and some of the top-tier QSRs do this, they they invariably become those evangelists for the paving the way for everybody else to follow in a way. And we are saying we, are, we can help you with that. Two questions. I'm curious about the infrastructure, the uh, software architecture that you build. Is this a Java system connected to a database or what kind so, of uh, system did you build? I'm sure you learned about that technology at IBM and Deloitte. And sure. second, is this the kind of thing where there's too much change in your infrastructure within the restaurant and it's easier for a new restaurant to build new lockers uh, or is retrofitting um, something that is easy to do? That's what I'm curious about. Sure. So two things. Uh, I told you I'm a Unix and Linux fan, and um, it's built on Android, which is basically a Unix platform, but it's built on Android and iOS, so we support both. And in the back end, we run Microsoft Azure and AWS. So that's our technology stack, and... We also have something called as the offline mode. So even though this is a cloud-based, we are hybrid. 
because we understand not every hospitality, so restaurant, a retail store, a stadium is connected to 100 Mbps of internet. Right. So this works offline. So we can take payments offline. We can. So when you use the kiosk, you will not know if the internet is there or not. It's only maybe you'll not get your reportings real time, but the order will always reach the kitchen. So what um, development system are you using to build the Android front end? I'm curious. Just a sort of a short subroutine here. So wh- wh- how does one develop for these these displays that look like iPads, but they're not, right? What do, you, do you have a third party oh, build them for you? Correct. So there are, yes. So there are some commercial players here. So all the UI front end is run on a company called Elo, E-L-O. We also use PartnerTech. Uh, we have a company from China called Sunmi. Um, Sunmi is Xiaomi. That's another mobile company. But again, we are we are hardware agnostic, unless you have a. Uh, we also have our own Raspberry Pi, <laughs> so mm. we can control our ecosystem. So we can run off a Raspberry Pi as well. Um, so the next question are, was. Um are you getting resistance from uh, restaurants in terms of retrofitting or enhanced architecture or space on the table? And right. So we. So that's a two-pronged challenge. Um, from retrofitting, yes, there are some challenges, but then we mount on the wall or we have to find a, uh, find a way to fit it. But as I told you, we are in cusp of innovation and everybody's going through a change. If you realize most of the restaurants today are changing their their uplift. There's a facelift, uplift, construction going on. McDonald's has upgraded, Burger King, Panda Express is upgrading. So we are in a sweet spot where the restaurants are like, okay, we are going to up- upgrade 250 of our restaurants next quarter or in next six months, so we'll put kiosk up front mm-hmm. versus retrofitting. And on the tech side, the challenges are connecting into legacy. So, for example, if it's a big QSR, I cannot go tell them, oh, use my 5,000 point of sales and replace everything. That's not going to happen. And that's where the IBM, frankly, the IBM consulting angle from Deloitte comes in play, where we become friends with the legacy POS, so with Oracle, NCR, uh, XPN, and we have started integration into them. And it's really, really difficult to integrate into these systems because you are making Java, JSON, talk to a web service SOA architecture from the early 2000s. Ah, JSON, that was what I was getting at earlier. Yeah. Yes, it's a JSON. And, and that's what we, that's our world. But the, yeah, so we have built our own middleware and we integrate into all these um, legacy point of sales. And we tell the customer, look, we'll give you an end-to-end solution. And frankly, that has been one of our biggest differentiators in the market. When I sit down at a Grubber um, restaurant and uh, touch the display, uh, are there issues with uh, sanitary issues with uh, lots of people touching that display all day long? I know Apple (laughs) in its retail stores uh, uses a special disinfectant every night on the iPads because hundreds of people touch that iPad every day in the store. So, we, I get that a lot. So, a couple of things. My first, pers- <laughs> my, <laughs> my first, pers- uh, and I'll tell you, I have some answers to that as well. That, so frankly, that particular issue uh, at Grubber uh, got us to our next phase where we are doing some really cool stuff, which I will talk about uh, real quick. But on the sanitation, frankly, our phones and our belts and probably our shoes are worse than our than a kiosk in a restaurant. Having hmm. said that. Uh, there are a couple of vendors we are working with where 
you can des- we desanitize the screens every night. There's a bag, and it releases a a pack of I- ions like a H2O. It's H- it's hydrogen and something else ions which cleanses cleanses the whole screen in the night. Interesting. So we, we give these plastic bags. It's bags with some special thing in it, which does the magic and cleans cleanses the kiosk every night. So it so sounds like you thought of everything. We have. And the and, other And you yeah. take Apple Pay. And of course we take Apple Pay. So of course. Up, <laughs> of course. So you walk up to the kiosk, tap your watch, and you're good to go. Yeah, it's paid for. Do you take all of those uh, systems like uh Google Pay and Samsung Pay? Uh, as well? yeah, we, we don't do Samsung Pay, we do Google Pay, um Apple Pay and Tap. If your credit card has tap functionality, so you can tap your card. I think Samsung Pay is a hybrid. It requires a magnetic reader, and then you trick the reader into thinking that a card has been scanned. So, correct. That's kind of yucky for a modern implementation. Yeah, yeah. So, do you have any early deployments you want to talk about? Yeah. So we are piloting at six major QSRs and fast casual restaurants today, and um, we can't name all of them. Panda Express is live, so you can go see it at Irvine. It's in Irvine, California. It's been live for six months. Um, it has phenomenal um, response, and it was in one of the in a very suburban neighborhood. And we were skeptical, but with Panda and us, we wanted to test if if it works here, it's going to work in a busy store, and it really worked well there. They are seeing an uplift of 12 to 15% by just upselling drinks because Panda does not upsell much. Um, yeah, speaking of upselling, one of the things we forgot to talk about was uh, does this system put servers, runners out of business, out of work? And we talked about this before when we were doing the pre-show. You explained how um, a faster throughput results in more money. Tell me about that real quick. Right. So I'll go back to my industrial revolution idea when... Farmers thought when in the factories came by, everybody thought everybody would lose their jobs because machines is going to make everything. Guess what happened? We had the best 50 years of our life where we have been growing nonstop. Uh, a, so when kiosks come in, I'll give you an example that one of our customers, they call up a Sunday and they tell us, can you switch off the kiosks? And we are like, what happened? And they're like, oh, we cannot handle the rush. We don't have enough employees. And I think mm-hmm. that should answer the question. So uh, Harvard... HP, so Harvard Business Review did a study on it, and in fact, their research shows that there's you'll need way more employees in the back of the house to fulfill the orders. I think it's fourteen percent more. So you need at least two employees more if you had to, right. and because you have to fulfill those orders, kiosk is going to keep churning out those sandwiches, and now you have to make sure that they are delivered on time. If I'm sitting at my table and I'm waiting for the server to bring me the check. I could have been on my way and out of there, and I knew people could have been sitting there ordering. And so greater throughput cr- creates more work for everyone and more cash flow. That is correct. Yeah. Even if I can save seven to eight minutes at a table for a 40-table restaurant, it increases, it, it increases your revenue by 25%, if not more. I think I've waited at least seven minutes for a check at it sometimes. Yeah, six to eight minutes is average. And so, yeah, I just want to touch upon that last point where the sanitation, and it's also people thinking that screens are, I, I'm not, not everybody's tech savvy. So they, they, we have also experienced that people are skeptical touching the screen because they might mm-hmm. feel, oh, I might not know how to finish the order. Mm-hmm. I might look lost. What would the person think behind me? Right. And 
so that is where innovation comes in. I'm like, okay, how do I solve this idea? How do we get here? And as with Apple, the user interface is the king. That is correct. And that, yes, but it still takes getting used to it, right? If you get a new update, it takes you a day or two to figure things out. But when you're at the kiosk, you have one or two minutes and not one or two hours to figure it out. So we are at Grubber now, we have started working what we call is a conversational AI or a conversational machine learning mm. robot. I, I don't want to use the word robot, but it is essentially like your Jarvis from Iron Man, and which can take your food orders. So let's say you walk up, you tap your watch and I know, hey, welcome back, John. Would you have your regular breakfast? Why? Because I know it's morning, 8.30. The system will know that. I know what you have eaten for last 35 times <laughs> and I'll give you a recommendation. And I'll say, would you take your regular coffee? You say, yes. Uh, do you want, and it will upsell. Do you want a donut with it? And you say, yes. Do you want to, um, and we'll just say, tap your watch again. And that's it. You walk You walk off the door and you don't have to touch anything. Right. So, Yeah. I think that's the next evolution to the kiosk where it will be every, everything is moving towards voice with Alexa, Siri, but it's not commerce. I think it's it's still for B2C for our, for us consumers. Restaurants can be very noisy sometimes, especially certain fast food restaurants where people bring kids that can be very loud environment. I'm sure you've figured that out and figured out how to deal with it. That is correct. And that is the research we are working on right now to get the voice component and the loudness and the slowness in the internet issue. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time. I want to ask okay. you another question. One yeah. system I've used already here in Denver is called Ziosk. I think it's one of your big competitors. What are your, but Ziosk only handles the payment after you've done the conventional thing with the server. So what are your, pros and cons and how do you feel about the competition from Ziosk and what's the advantages of Grubber? So Ziosk does tabletop ordering as you call um, as you know and it's for payments as you said whereas Grubber is a full self-ordering ecosystem or a platform. So our kiosk can range from an 8 inch tabletop tablet to a 32 inch screen on all the walls through the restaurant. Having said that, and then it has its own kitchen display system. It has its own point of sale. So it's a full ecosystem versus just a standalone tablet. Mm. Cool. And so we can cater to different needs. And again, Ziosk has its own market where it's on every table. You want to play games and completely different purpose. And we are in the more transactional e-commerce way where we are saying that if the society is going cashierless and when you... You don't need a POS when you buy a when you buy a Grubber kiosk because it can do everything what a point of sale can do, and you don't need the counter. So, at Grubber we are trying to re envision how the restaurant or the retail store of the future should look like. So, for example, Apple Store there are no counters, there are no cash registers. People right. walk up to you and you pay for it. So, why not at the QSR? Why can't I just go to the kiosk, pay for it, pick up my food, and go? Why and not? Have, why not? Indeed. And why don't I have experience? Why don't I have restaurant experience or customer experience people around me, telling me more about your product? Tell me where the food comes from. Farm to table is a big thing today. Yep. Yep. Okay, so we're at the end of the show. Uh, do you have any final thoughts you want to conclude with before we break uh, break away? No, I think we are in the most exciting times uh, in the last fifty years, and I, I'm enjoying it. And I think we all are seeing the change which is happening every day. SpaceX is going public next week and it's 
who would imagine that space tourism would be up in 10 years yeah cool yeah so no just exciting times <laughs> okay tell the listeners how they can contact you if they wish so my, to learn more again you can go to our website www.grubbr.com grubber.com or you can reach us at support at grubber.com s u p p o r t support at grubber.com i think that's the best way or you can hit me up on linkedin my name is bavin asher you can search um, you'll see me on the top of the list okay so one more thing uh, the listeners will never forgive me if i don't ask how did you come up with the name of the company um <laughs> i wanted something to i wanted to do something with hospitality and i wanted grub double r every i don't know if you know every oxford dictionary word is taken and i was in the startup mode bootstrap mode i tried grub double r it was not there GRU double BR, it was not available, and it was GRU double B double R was available, and I took it for nine ninety nine. Okay. And I was I, I I was at Square headquarters. Square is also called SquareUp dot com. There's a because he couldn't find Square, and SquareUp was available for nine ninety nine. Okay. Well, so, Bavin, thanks for joining me and telling me the story of your company and your career. It's been really interesting. No, appreciate it, John. Appreciate your time too. Thanks. All right, thanks. All right, folks, you've been listening to CEO of Grubber, Bavin Asher, and John Martellero on the Mac Observer's Background Mode. We'll see you again next week. Thank you.